Ready to live at the higher vibrations, where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to The Vibe Show. I am your host, Robin Openshaw, and I'm so glad to be back with you today. I am interviewing an old friend. Uh, I invited him on my lecture tours uh, twice, going from the north to the south of Florida. Dr. Brian Clement is just a powerhouse of information. He had a mentor who I share as one of my heroes in health and wellness, Dr. Ann Wigmore, who trained him and really changed his life. Brian Clement has spearheaded the International Progressive Health Movement for over 35 years now. Right about that time, it's been 35 years now, I believe. He's been the co-director of the world-renowned Hippocrates Health Institute in West Palm Beach, Florida, where he and his wife, Anna Maria, who is also a PhD, um, have really implemented innovative natural health treatments and programs. They're really a power couple. They have authored or co-authored many, many books in which Brian explores different aspects of health and spirituality and natural healing. So uh, lately, he's been commissioned by some government-supported organizations to establish and organize and direct some major health initiatives in Denmark, Switzerland, Greece, and India. So he's traveled to over 25 countries to speak and help establish some really important health initiatives. So I'm excited for you to meet my friend, Dr. Brian Clement. So welcome to the Vibe Show. I'm so glad to catch up with you, Brian, because I haven't seen you in person in quite a while, and I'm really happy to talk to you again and see what you're up to. So welcome. Well, nice to be with you, and I'm up to a lot. I just flew back last night. I did a TED Talk, and that's always a lot of fun at a university up in North Carolina. And uh, this Thursday, I'm going to be up in Canada on a lecture tour. Just came out of New York about a week ago, so we're keeping very busy. And we're lucky here at Hippocrates, we have people from 17 countries in our guest population right now. We're happy and busy and as excited about life uh, more than probably ever before. Well, that's exciting to hear because we are looking for inspiration. Here on The Vibe Show, I've talked about how in my 50s, I'm looking for mentors. I'm looking for somebody who's doing amazing work, still mentally sharp, still producing, adding to their body of work, contributing to their families. And you came to mind. And what I'd like to ask you is just kind of start at the beginning, because I've done several lectures with you throughout Florida. And so I know more about your story than most people do, even people who follow you and who are fans of Hippocrates Institute, of which you're a founder. But will you talk about how you came to eat a raw vegan diet? I'm dying to know if you're still completely vegan or do you, like John Robbins and so many others who I've interviewed on this show, you eating a little bit of fish or anything like that now that I think you're post 65, but talk a little bit about your story. Well, in a couple of years, I'll be 70 and I am completely a vegan and have been for 48 years. And so I've not wavered or compromised in any way. And I'm actually recommitting myself almost on a weekly basis after watching our guest here uh, reverse catastrophic disease and all of us that live this way uh, successfully fight the aging process. 
So that hasn't changed anything uh, in my life. Now, the next thing I can say to you is that uh, what most people do is they find exciting events for short periods of time. What I was blessed with as a child, I picked something I loved a lot, and I actually helped to work my way through school called music. So I found my passion. And then when I got out of school and went into studies, I started to study science and recognized in a very short period of time that what was being taught conventionally in biology and chemistry was quite small and limiting. So I started to study uh, quantum biology and quantum physics. And so have been totally passionate about what I've done now in my work for all of these decades I've been doing this. Not only do we get excited about what we do, but I have a chance on a daily basis to implement these ideas and clinical research, clinical observation with our guest population here. Now, as many of you may or may not know, uh, people come to Hippocrates for two reasons. Either they're seriously conscious people who want to prevent disease and aging or seriously ill people. And so when they, everything else has failed, they get on planes from around the globe, around the United States, and they show up here uh, many times in the very, very late stage of what their disorder is. And we're able to watch what happens when you plug them into not only plant-based diets, but plant-based diets that are completely uncooked, raw, and give them massive amounts of raw juices, but not with carrots and fruit and all of these things that are problematic for people, but more so greens and sprouts. And as you may or may not know, in the field of nutrition, the most important finding ever was that sprouts have the most medicine of any plants. They're called phytochemicals. And one small example for you, if you take broccoli, which is an amazingly good anti-cancer, anti-ulcer, anti-gastrointestinal plant, if you take the sprout of a broccoli, it's 50, five, zero times more effective for all of those problems. So these are the things that we've been observing. And of course, it's not only about diet here, Every one of our guests get psychotherapy. Every one of our guests go through our exercise academy with gifted people there. And the list goes on. Non-invasive therapies with electromagnetic and cold laser and QRS and cyber scan and H-Wave. We are a multifaceted institute that picks the best of the best from all disciplines of medicine from around the globe. And we employ them for one reason to keep people vitally energetic so they either reverse or prevent disease and premature aging. You probably don't know this, but when we met, I had reached out to you to say, hey, could I come stay at Hippocrates because I want to study what you're doing there and what kind of treatments you have there and what the whole vibe of the place is. But what you don't know is that since that three and a half years that I spent flying all over the world going to a couple dozen clinics, is that what I tell people is that there's a, you know, I think you know that I go to Switzerland every year and I lead retreats there. But I tell people that that Swiss clinic and Hippocrates are my two favorite after evaluating on a lot of different levels, 20 different clinics worldwide. And one of the reasons is, and, and you and the Swiss clinic share this in common, is that I don't feel like it's the best approach when someone is ill to go to a clinic where they think that the medicine is the needle in their arm. 
They think that the medicine is the nutrient IVs, but they're in a hotel a mile away. They're having to come in for treatments every day. They're having to fend for themselves with food. At Hippocrates, you're providing everything. and You should know, if you're listening to this, that there's a buffet every day and it's sprouts and there's wheatgrass juice every day. And there's, you know, it's very vegetables, very alkaline, very high fiber, very nutrient dense. And so when, when I talk to people and I say, you should check out Hippocrates, which was one of my two favorite, that's pretty, pretty high honor given the fact that that's top 10%. I evaluated 20 different clinics and I won't go out on the internet and say, you should not go to this clinic and here's why. That would be, you know, I was the guest of all these different places, but Hippocrates is definitely my top two. And one of it is it's just a beautiful place and you stay on site and you are fed on site the therapeutic diet. But I do always say to people, are you willing to eat what's going to heal you? Because they do a great job with sprouts and vegetables and all that, but the bar is high. Okay. So if you are a person who's like, everything has to taste delicious and to my standard American diet tastes, you know, you, you better go there prepared that you're going to eat a truly therapeutic diet. So, so I'm super impressed by it, but back up just a little bit. And we just talk a little about your childhood and you, you did not come into your adulthood healthy. I would love to know what happened. The opposite is a matter of fact, uh, in the talk I just did at the university on Saturday, I explained that what made me awake was fear. I was 120 pounds larger uh, smoking cigarettes, chain smoking cigarettes, uh, smoking grass on a constant basis. I was a damn mess and uh, pretty much recognized that this could not continue. I didn't know what to do or how to do it, nor did I know anyone that knew anything about health at that point. My loving, wonderful family, which were loving and wonderful, uh, their idea of health was you weren't sick. <laughs> as long as you weren't diagnosed, you were healthy. <laughs> and everyone I knew was eating as badly or, or worse than I am. Uh, and then I finally met a woman uh, who was this wonderful, you know, short, five-foot-tall woman from New York who had healed herself of catastrophic cancer. Now, being an Irish guy, uh, we had major families. And every time I heard cancer... It was being whispered at some wake somewhere, some funeral home, uh, because my uncle would be laying there and nobody would ever say why somebody would die, but I'd hear cancer. So in my mind, it was quite simple. If you got cancer, you're going to end up in a, in a casket. And she said to me, well, 40 years ago, I was told I was going to die and I healed it. And at first I thought she must be fooling me because nobody heals cancer. When you get cancer, you die. And uh, she introduced me to a lot of her friends who had uniquely the same type of story. And she had an organization called Nutritional Workshop. And I was by far the youngest person. I think the next youngest person, I was 20 and was probably 55 or 60. And I would go to these meetings and just, it was just remarkable. It was almost like going to evangelical health meetings <laughs> where people were screaming and yelling about how they healed diseases. And it was just really enthralling. It just captured me. And once she knew she got me on the right train, she said, you have to do this work. And I said, well, what is this work? And she said, well, you're going to work really hard. You're not going to make a lot of money, uh, but you're going to help people. Now, that was a mantra of the 60s generation. We were against money. We wanted to help people. And working hard for something we liked made sense. And so slowly but surely, I made my way into some of the great leaders in that day, uh, the Paul Braggs and you know, Bernard Jensen became colleagues and friends of mine over the years that were really guiding lights that had massive history and great experience. 
And I started to study with them. And then our founder, Ann Wigmore, who opened Hippocrates, we were the very first lifestyle medicine center on earth. She created lifestyle medicine in 1956 when the Hippocrates doors opened in Boston. And somehow it just all fell into place. And so besides me losing 120 pounds, gaining consciousness for the first time in my life, empathy, compassion, that's what consciousness is for myself and other people. I was surrounded by geniuses who basically were the leaders in this field who all guided me to do this work. And I had a blessing to join the Hippocrates team in 1975 and asked in 1980 to become the director. Now, little did I know what the director was, but one thing I wasn't lacking is ambition. So I said, yes. And then I've been figuring it out ever since. (laughs) Well, you've mentioned a couple of my heroes, Bernard Jensen and Ann Wigmore. And Ann Wigmore is probably best known for discovering and then deploying the use of wheatgrass juice, but she was equally passionate about the power, like you've discussed a little here, of sprouts. What was it like to work with her? I think she was a legend. She was like way ahead of her time. She wasn't making money. She was just so mission oriented. What what was that all like? That whole generation were completely passionate, mission oriented. It was almost like a religious movement more than a, a health movement. And Anne was an eccentric. Anne was a genius, an instinctual genius, and she didn't use intellect. And that's a good thing, by the way. Most people filter who they are and what they say and how they think through their brain. She did. Everything she spoke was directly from her heart. And although it was sometimes challenging to be around that, the truth of the matter is when you thought about it for more than the immediate time she was saying it, it always resonated as true. And she was certainly the top mentor, not one of my, the top mentor for me. And saw in me uh, the ability to communicate with people and pretty much elevated me rapidly to be the one that went out and spoke about Hippocrates with her. And we traveled the world together. You know, go to, we went to India. The prime minister brought us to India. Uh, all over the United States, all over Canada we went, all over Europe. And it was just an extraordinary experience to be with her because, as you remember, but many don't know, Uh, In 1952, she was told by the Harvard doctors she had 90 days to live. She had advanced stage four colon cancer. And because she was a Lithuanian who grew up as a peasant girl in a poor village in Lithuania in Eastern Europe, she literally had a grandmother, a surrogate grandmom that was a village doctor. And back then, doctors didn't make prescriptions. They used herbs, they used the barks of trees, they used love. And they used compassion. And so when the doctors at Harvard, our top doctors in America, arguably the world, said she's going to die, she pretty much knew what to do. Uh, And she healed herself and couldn't contain it. And in 1956, again, we opened Hippocrates. And she was the first one in history that ever said, uh, you know, it's not about giving a pill or giving a, a potion like you said these 19 or out of 20 or 18 out of 20 clinics do, you know, they, they are egocentric. They think that although we do IVs here with whole food supplements, you don't change your attitude and don't change your diet, you're not going to heal. And she knew this. So you had to change your attitude. You had to get values in your life. You had to have a drive. You had to exercise. You had to eat the purest, most nourishing, highest protein, highest vitamin foods. And so she was the one who created the Sproutarian movement. And you're correct, she brought wheatgrass back. You know, wheatgrass through history, 
goes back thousands of years ago. Some of the listeners may, may not know, uh, two ounces of wheatgrass is the equivalent of five pounds of green, fresh, organic vegetables. So you know, every day I'm drinking two to four ounces of wheatgrass juice. I'm drinking almost a quarter more of green juice made half with sprouts, again, which are the strongest phytochemical medicines ever discovered in the history of medicine. We're not talking about all uh, one type of medicine. We're talking about the history of modern medicine. Nobody's found anything more interesting to prevent and eliminate disease than these phytochemicals. Yeah, funny side story about wheatgrass juice. I had a challenge that we did on camera once, probably six or eight years ago, and another woman and I were going to make each other a green smoothie and then and see who could get it down. Well, she was really kind of a competitor, and she found out from somebody in my camp how much I do not enjoy the taste of wheatgrass juice. And so I... I was training. I was literally in training and I would do two ounces and then I would work it up to four ounces and I sort of overcame my fear of the taste. I think I think it all goes back to when I was pregnant with my third child. I was wheatgrass juicing in the garage with a, a friend of mine and we would, and when I would take my turn, I would sometimes just from the smell of it get really nauseous and occasionally even throw up, which doesn't have anything to do with wheatgrass juice. More had to do with wheatgrass juice while pregnant. I knew that she got wind of the fact that I wasn't like, I didn't enjoy the taste of wheatgrass juice. So in my training, one day I drank eight ounces of wheatgrass juice at a, at one time. And Brian, I got really like light, like foggy headed. Why would that happen? Well, what it does is it rushes so much oxygen into the bloodstream. Uh, sadly, even healthy people like you and me, Robin, uh, aren't breathing as well as we should. We're under stress. We're on planes. And so when we get the type of oxygen level we're supposed to have, you become a little lightheaded. Uh, you build up to that. You know, it's funny you're saying eight ounces. It almost makes me shiver. There was a two and a half month period for experimental reasons. Back in the very early 80s, I was drinking a quart, minimally a quart a day. And why we did it is to decide whether or not more wheatgrass was better than less. We discovered if you're eating a healthy plant-based diet that's you know, organic and you're drinking the green juices and not what I'm drinking, but 12 ounces times two, that really the average person, unless you're seriously ill, only requires two ounces more twice a day. Because after you got above it, we started to notice the hemoglobin levels didn't go up. So you could drink five quarts of it a day and never get that much of a benefit. So you're just wasting a lot of energy and time making it. You can maintain on healthy people like you a couple of ounces a day, a person who's in the conquest of a disease, four ounces a day, and it's ideally two and two. So that lightheadedness doesn't surprise me. And remember, it has manganese in it. What differentiates wheatgrass or chlorophyll from your blood, your blood has uh, an iron molecule in the center of it. Where the only difference, it's exactly the same structure, chlorophyll has manganese in the center of it. And manganese actually helps to attract waste and poisons out of your body too. Yeah, it's it's really powerfully detoxifying wheatgrass juice. I don't know that there's a natural substance that could compete with it. And and I know Anne spent you know many decades of her life bringing some public awareness that now is is much much bigger. I'm sure the legacy that you've helped move forward is bigger than she could have ever dreamed of. And I'm excited to see what's next. And touching on, you've mentioned without saying these words, but I know that we're on the same wavelength with with this. And because this show is really organized around my book called Vibe about the vibrational frequency of everything, the vibrational frequency of human beings, depending on what they eat and what they do with their emotional 
history and their traumas and really the the vibrational frequency of everything, including emotions. You've touched on the importance to you of some very high vibration emotions. I love to hear that Hippocrates Institute, and I should mention that I've stayed there twice. And the reason, one of the reasons it's my, one of my two favorite places in the world that I've studied at is that they bring all these things together. Very clear understanding of the vibration of the treatments, of the staff, of the place itself. And you stay on site. It's lovely. You are fed three meals a day, which I think this is super important for people who come there ill, which you say is is one of the two camps of people, people who are really well and they're seekers or people who are sick and they're willing to give up their addictions and come make and drink wheatgrass juice and really do the work of getting well. But I know that in addition to psychotherapy, you've gotten well into energy medicine. And so anything that you want to say about that, about what kind of work you do there in energy medicine and why you think it's important, I would love to hear it. Well, one of the stipulations when I became director in 1980 is that we would advance into the field of what now I call quantum human biology. An upcoming book I have and a presentation I just made on TED is called Quantum Human Biology. And so this has been a deep passion of mine for uh, more than four decades now. One of the things when guests come here, besides doing an elaborate blood test, our medical team does something called CyberScan, which comes out of Germany, and BioWell, which comes out of Russia. That's literally measuring the biofrequency fields of every one of the cells in your body, and then organ systems. And it goes back to the work I did in the 1970s and 80s until recently with my now deceased colleague who died in her late 90s called Dr. Valerie Hunt. Dr. Hunt was a renowned professor and the first female professor in the University of California's chain. It was actually hired in 1948. And uh, Dr. Hunt was really the pioneer in what we now call biological frequency medicine because she was challenging these things back in the 1950s and 60s and teaching this in formal classrooms to graduate students. Uh, Dr. Hunt literally created the suits that the men that went to the moon wore. And so she was a, a brilliant advanced thinker who was much more advanced than just the basic physics and chemistry and biology that was being taught. She was asking what creates all of this. So she taught me a long time ago that healthy cells work at 75 hertz. So since then, I've been able to accrue a lot of data. So if you have any form of cancer, your cells working at about 10 hertz. Multiple sclerosis, 25 to 35 hertz. Dementia, 40 to 45 hertz. So as you see, all these diseases literally reduce the electromagnetic frequency in and around the cell. And the real question, as I point out in my upcoming book, is are we cells or what makes a cell? And it goes back to what Einstein predicted 109 years ago. Einstein said, and now it's been proven, that a subtle, subtle frequency creates all life within us and connects us to all other life. He was saying on the planet, but I'm going to say into the multiple universes, which we now know exist since 2003. And Max Planck was his teacher back 100 years ago. And Max Planck was a premier scientist and one of the founders of quantum physics. Basically, why he was interested in Einstein wasn't only from the theory of relativity, but it was Einstein who was saying the theory of relativity is not enough. Now, in 2016, it was discovered that all life comes from nothingness. 
And this is not a philosophical statement, it's a fact. Nothingness, the dark hole, zero point gravity. So we cannot measure it. In quantum physics, we're talking about the string theory. And so every time mathematicians actually look below the neutron and the proton, they see that there's something there that has not been able to be coded. It's really where all our life comes from, that subtle frequency. And this is what we are employing in a lot of the technologies here. So people are getting QRS technologies here, cold laser technologies, proton beam technology, the cyber scan that looks at 100,000 parameters of your energy fields in your body for health and psychology. Literally a card ejects out of that, having to replacements for your deficiencies and the guests wear this card on them for three months. So the future of all medicine and healthcare, once they find a way to make money, sadly, should happen today, is going to be biofrequency medicine, quantum human biology, which we've been using here uh, now for four decades successfully. We have a department of energy medicine here uh, run by Dr. Willicks, Bob Willicks, Bob has been a medical doctor for 50 years, and he's on the same wavelength as me. He started as a cardiovascular surgeon and realizes the true medicine of today is to touch the frequency below and behind the cell. Well, I'm really excited about all this. I want to be the first uh, buyer of your book coming out, and I would actually love if you would reach out and let me interview you as your book launches so we can dig deeper into this kind of stuff because... This is exactly what this whole podcast was organized around. And you're the exact model of what we're looking to emulate because people have sort of programmed themselves to believe, you know, their own obsolescence that at 65 we retire and that's when we basically stop doing what is meaningful, right? As we have enough life experience and amassed consciousness to be able to bring forth the kind of work that you're doing. But if we aren't eating clean enough and experiencing life the way that you've cultivated so carefully, then we don't have it to give back, right? As we actually amass that kind of awareness and knowledge. And and food is a major part of it. Think of your body as a pristine battery. When you came here as an infant out of your loving mother and this pristine battery that was filled to the brim with energy. And then slowly but surely, through first emotion, and then non-energetic food, dead food, chemicalized food, and then lethargia and sitting around all the time. And now we add the electronics that we're all frying our brains and our bodies with. And then you spend most of your time in front of a screen. I mean, the poor children today, they're spending five, six hours in front of a screen. So you drain that battery and drain that battery, and you have no energy. So then what do you go to? Sugar. And you go to caffeine. And you go to cook carb spaghettis and, and breads and pastas to get this false energy. And it, it jacks your way up and then you fall deeper and jacks your way up and you fall deeper. And when then that all fails, then you go to the doctor, the physician, and they give you a drug to balance. And then that doesn't work. So you go to another physician and the whole thing is a lack of energy. It just comes down to a lack of energy. Where it all starts is in the psyche. Diet is second to the psyche. Positive attitude gives you elation excitement and energy. You know that. If I get you all excited and you're laughing 
and running around, you instantly feel like a kid again. And if I give you bad news, what happens to you? You feel sick to your stomach and you're sitting on your butt and you're not moving and you're sad. And we've just got to realize the general way this has to start is through affirmative thinking, affirmative action. And then the affirmative action is why we give everyone psychotherapy here. Then people say, well, of course I want to fuel my body with natural whole foods that are alive. Every single species on earth, we have 8 million species we share this planet with. Trillions of creatures. Listen to what I'm saying. Eight million species, trillions of creatures. 100% of every other species and creature in nature lives on 100% raw food diet. The only species that choose to cook their food are Homo sapiens, you and I. Now, are they all wrong or are we wrong? I mean, look at when you put people on life, it becomes immediately detectable with these testing devices we have. When people come here with a bio well, they all have empty batteries or partially empty batteries. By the end of the three-week program here, almost 100% of them have completely charged or greatly charged their batteries. And that in and of itself is a future of medicine. We've got to look at the energy source. It is the future of medicine. People are saying it all the way from mainstream folks like Dr. Oz to so many other guests on this show. I've recently, I just probably in the last week verbalized this to someone I was talking to about what creates health. And I said, you know, early in my journey when I was, you know, like you, I was overweight. I had like 21 different diagnosed diseases. And I discovered eating whole, mostly raw plant foods and haven't really deviated from that in now 25 years. To me, that was it. I thought that was it. I thought that was foundational. And of course it's important. It's really, really important. But I was verbalizing just in the last week what you said. It hit me like a thunderbolt. And I've had several other seekers, researchers, authors like you and I say something similar to me recently, which is, I think it's becoming clear. I think the evidence is clear that our emotional metabolism of events in our lives, our emotional response, our ability to manage our mind and our spirit is probably more important than the food that we eat. And I never thought I would say that. Never thought I would say that, but I I believe you. I think that's accurate. Yeah, this is why we combine it all. I mean, my, my mistake was as director and being pretty young at that point, I thought if you changed a diet, everything would get better. And then I watched people eat exactly like I knew they weren't deviating and they still weren't getting better. And although I used to think that psychology and all of that we're speaking about now was foo-foo, being a male from my generation, I started to recognize, I humbled myself. And as soon as I found the proper, which was lucky we did, a psychotherapist, I would watch people transform after one one-hour session with her. And now we have, as you know, we have three psychotherapists here and all the guests enjoy them. And I'm going to tell you, the most important thing we offer at Hippocrates is that. Because if you can change people's channel, they're watching the right show. You don't change their channel, they're still looking at the, the death and dying negative show. And we don't want that. We want them to be on the happy channel. And if you're not on a happy channel, you're going to hurt yourself. Why I was 120 pounds is I wasn't a happy camper. You know, I used food as a narcotic. I used to think exercise was for jocks. You know, I used to laugh at people that would kick a ball around and say, look at what idiots they are, as I was lifting cigarettes and joints to my mouth. This, it's all deceptive. Whatever our attitude is will create the reality of our existence. And if we have an attitude that's really fired by values, fired by virtues, fired by passion and fulfillment, there's never a choice other than success for you. And you don't stop until you succeed. And it's not because you succeed to win. You succeed to be fulfilled. 
I actually believe why we're on this planet, you and I and everyone listening today, is to be fulfilled and to give and to contribute. And if we get to that place, of course you don't want to age. Of course you don't want to die. I want to live to 120 years and the night I go to bed and not wake up the next day. That's it. I love that. And I don't think you're in a place to be able to give like that or even to have your headspace be there until you get through those decades of your primary struggle in life being providing for your family. But you're clearly not still in it like you are and traveling all over and bringing out a new book on quantum human biology because you need the cash. You now have so, so much to give that it's for a completely different reason. Am I right? Yeah, it is true. And, and let me also add that I, I'm blessed because I have a wife that I'm totally in love with, that she's my best friend, she's my coworker. She's, a, as you know, the co-director of Hippocrates. And I think the male approach, yes, I'm sort of a balanced male compared to a lot of other male, but you need the female approach to this too. And whenever I get a little rough around the edges, she knows how to sand me down. And she has certain gifts and, and attributes that I'll never have. And, you know, so as a team, it's much easier to achieve this. You know, having that partner in my life, having somebody that I trust explicitly, there's nothing that she would ever ask me to do I would doubt because that's who she is as a human being. So, you know, I don't want to sit here and act like I'm doing all of this on my own, having support, having love. Having a partner like that is probably 50% of why I'm who I am today. Oh, that's that's so lovely. And just everyone should know that Anna Maria is an amazing person and a and co-founder of Hippocrates and also very, very active there. And your four children are, are they're, I think, young adults now, but... I, I have them from 40 to 20. I have seven grandkids now. And uh, all of them are doing well and beautiful, living on plant-based diets and my youngest boy uh, is half Swedish, as you know, because Anna's Swedish. Uh, he's now learning fluent Swedish and on his way, hopefully, to medical school. So that at some point when I'm in my 80s, I turn the keys over to him and I just do what I want to do at that point. I'll cherry pick where I lecture. Uh, perfect. Me too. I love the intel you gave me a few minutes ago that 75 hertz is what Dr. Valerie Hunt discovered is the measurable energy of healthy cells because I usually refer to the work of the late Bruce Tynio who used a BT3 monitoring system with similar numbers to what you talk about and how we're actually generating far less energy in a, a cancerous state or a cancerous tumor than healthy tissues. And when people understand this, then they have yet another reason to make a shift, to make a shift to eating a very alkaline, nutrient-dense, mostly raw diet. And so I'm going to put in the show notes a link to the programs at Hippocrates Institute that are three-week programs for turning around diabetes. When I was there, I wasn't allowed to interview anyone on camera just because the rules at Hippocrates protecting, you know, the residents there, the patients there from, you know, being bugged by someone there holding a camera. But I met a man who had been on diabetes medications for 35 years. And in a matter of weeks there at Hippocrates, his, his lots of Langerhans in his pancreas were functioning and he was literally off of his diabetes meds. I was mind blown at the stories there, people who are reversing cancer. So you have a program there for diabetes, for weight loss, for cancer. I'm going to put a link in the show notes about that, but feel free to say a few words about it. We actually have an entire department now called the Weight Loss Academy. And it is spectacular. We're getting results that nowhere else on the planet, fat farms are not getting. 
You know, the average loss in the program is 22 pounds and people get excited and we get them to move and they're excited and they're running around and they're, they're actually having fun exercising and eating this food rather than saying, oh, this is a chore and we're not on a diet again. Then we have a diabetic program. As you know, uh, you met somebody, but I've never worked with a type 2 diabetic who's willing to permanently change her life or his life that cannot bring about their own recovery. We have a comprehensive cancer program that we have a world-renowned teacher who worked with Carl Symington on visualization techniques from the 70s until Carl's demise, uh, you know, about 10 years ago. And Dr. Jan Ranicki uh, basically heads that program. And it is the most advanced in all the world. So she's teaching people and giving the tools and we're using technologies like Nucom uh, that literally put you into a state of a beta thinking so that your immune system can activate. And, you know, it goes on and on and on. And, and over the years, we're going to unfold more and more targeted programs for the world's population, because sadly, there's not another place on earth that does this type of work. Hmm. Fascinating. If anyone listening to this wants to know where Hippocrates is in south of Florida, beautiful, beautiful location, we'll put links in the show notes to uh, where you can learn more about these programs. But Brian, I want to ask you a question I've asked a few of our 70-year-old-ish interviewees on this show as we are celebrating Learn From Our Elders. And that is, if your 69-year-old self could go back to your 35-year-old self and tell him a few things that you've learned along the way that are life-changing, that are powerful, what would you tell him? Because I think we can all be served by that. Number one, I would be more humble. When I was 35, I would be much more humble. I mean, I was driven, as most men are, by testosterone and ego at that point. And my frustration was, is not everyone listened to what I said, for good reason, probably, because I didn't say it in a way that was acceptable. I wasn't open enough. I wasn't compassionate enough. I wasn't experienced enough. But I think there's a lot of very wise 20 and 30-year-olds. In just my case, I was a little bit too involved with thinking I had to be right most of the time. Uh, number two... I would have spent more time with my, my children. Uh, like most men, Hippocrates became my favorite child, although I had four other children. And it took me until my 50s to wake up one day and said, no, you know, Hippocrates is buildings and it's a program and it's a wonderful team of 200 team members I have here. But it's not my child. It's my passion. It's my mission. And so as most men, at least conscious men, will regret I wish I spent more time. I did more so with my 20-year-old uh, because he was the only one at home at that point. But still, it was far from enough. The last thing I wish I had done is really ask for advice from experts. Uh, a lot of this I try to figure out myself. And partly I can make an excuse. It was probably partially true. Uh, I probably didn't know I needed to ask experts. But you know, that has to do with inexperience sometimes. I could have made things a lot easier for me and people around me if I brought people in who knew better than me. So they're probably the three things that I would say to my 35-year-old me. Well, those are some powerful life lessons. And I think that last one about when we were 35, we don't know what we don't know. It's so easy to look in the rearview mirror and say, I wish I'd known that back then. But me too, on all three of those. Me too. And I think we're, we're hard on men because we expect them to be all things. This Renaissance man who's this, you know, compassionate, 
service-oriented partner, uh, not the Neanderthal club the beast and drag it into the cave and call it good and leave, leave her to do everything else. We expect them to be great fathers and really show up for them big. So just on behalf of modern, enlightened consciousness, I just want to say that I'm glad you did figure that out and lots of people haven't. And it's hard. It's hard to be building your career and in the your 30s and 40s and having to give your career so much. And yet that's right when your family needs so much of you too, right? It's true. But you know, to me, it just shows the state of affairs we're in. We have to have a Me Too movement in the beginning of the 21st century where women are once again asking for love and respect. I mean, what kind of a sick culture are we that our mothers, our daughters, our sisters, our wives, we don't honor and respect. And until we do that, humanity's always going to suffer. We've got to have some kind of a balance here. Because look, we men are like the man I was before, and I still struggle with, you know, a little bit. We are very good focused on one thing. You give us two things, we start to fall apart. By the third thing, we're completely out of our minds. Where if, if we could ask our wives, our friends, they she shouldn't be the, the lady, the woman, it should be our friends, our wife, our partner, our co-worker. But by the way, what do you think about this? So I've learned over the last 25, 30 years, whenever I'm making my male-like decision, uh, I give it to s- several women I trust around me. And quite often they come up with, most often, not quite often, most often they come up with things I would never have thought about. And so what a world we have that we're, we're still having to teach men to be respectful of people that they're married to, that they have children that are daughters. I mean, it just angers me. That's all I can say. Well, thank you so much for sharing that and for being willing to be so transparent and humble. It's, it's really refreshing. Tell us one more thing before we go. I so appreciate your time today. I know how fully scheduled you are. How can people learn more about you? How can they follow you? How can they learn more about the mission of Hippocrates? We'll put links in the show notes. And, and I think you do personal consultation. How does that work? How can people find you? If people have a need, they can call up uh, my assistant here at Hippocrates, Brian Clements' assistant, and uh, they can make a scheduled appointment. And usually they're sending in medical reports or questions and our team looks it over and then I do that focused consultation with them. Number two, you can look at us on the web, HippocratesInstitute.org. We're a nonprofit organization. So Hippocrates, it took me three years of working here before I figured out how to write this. H-I-P-P-O-C-R-A-T-E-S. H-I-P-P-O-C-R-A-T-E-S. Institute, I-N-S-T-I-T-U-T-E. Institute.org. Hippocratesinstitute.org. And then you can call us if somebody has an urgent need. We have people on our phones here all of the time at 561-471-8876. So it's 561-471-8876. It's always nice to talk to you. You're as busy as you used to be, Robin? (laughs) No, I'm not. I moved to Park City and and I'm actually uh, working part-time now and just focusing on things like this, like the podcast that I love. So, But I'm going to be doing more humanitarian work. Haven't talked a lot on the podcast about that, but I'm excited to be doing more for my family and more for the community that doesn't involve working for a living, but still very much excited about the future of what Green Smoothie Girl can bring forward. And I'm really, really inspired by how much you're still producing. And so hope to see you soon. Hope to show up at Hippocrates sometime soon. I'm watching for that opportunity. And thank you so much for being with us today. 
you. As I'm leaving, let me just remind all of you, you're here to find your passion. You're here to fulfill your life. Don't let life slip by without that happening. God bless and be well.